Programming Throwdown, episode 85, Holiday Party. Take it away, Patrick. Welcome to the last episode of 2018. Wow. Got a lot of exciting stuff planned for this episode. Some uh, right. giveaways, uh, which we'll explain in a minute. Uh, and hopefully it'll be fun and exciting. And we're recording this. Well, we always, I guess, technically record it live. Um, like Jason and I are both live, I guess. Yep. But uh, this time people are listening in on the Discord. And if we get any uh, particularly excited uh, l- uh, people into the Discord who want to join us in audio chat, we might have that that episode don't know what's going to happen. It's uh, end of the year 2018. Anything can happen. <laughs> That's right. Anything goes. It's wild. It's crazy. Speaking of wild, crazy, and anything goes, uh, since we called this episode the holiday party episode, uh, I want to talk a minute about uh, work holiday parties. So uh, each year at, I guess, you know, every company I've worked at, there's always been a holiday party. And I think, you yeah. know, Hollywood has made uh, a thing of holiday parties like a t- famously i guess the opening of die hard is a holiday party right i haven't watched oh, it in a long right. time yeah. but i think that's true that's so right. a holiday like like it's a a cultural thing i guess uh but i guess it's particularly interesting i don't know that i've ever seen portrayed the uh computer science <laughs> holiday party <laughs> uh so, so you know, it, it's typically, for, for those of you who, who kind of haven't experienced it yet, the way I've typically experienced it is sometime uh, near to Thanksgiving, but normally after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas, uh, your company will decide to throw a holiday party. It may be for the whole company. It might be for just your team. Or normally it's been more, like I've seen it at like the department level. Yep. Um, so depending on the size of your company, I've worked mostly at large companies. So that's, you know, several hundred to a thousand-ish uh, employee level and um and so that's about the size of the holiday party they have it at some you know conference center or uh you know some museum something it just depends on you know sort of the uh, current economic environment the sort of culture of your company various things yeah they uh, actually typical- uh they, they still do the whole company holiday party where i work and uh it's completely oh, wow. in Insane. It's just so many people. It's an unbelievable. So this is also an interesting time of year because uh, for me, the two biggest things that are recurring year after year that are, are kind of most interesting aside from the event itself uh, when it takes place is one, they typically have people dress up. Uh, typically either like uh, at least business casual, but typically more like you're supposed to often black tie. Yep. And so most of the people I work for either own zero or one suit. Um, and they haven't worn it until, except last year's holiday party. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so it's a very interesting time from people who normally wear jeans and t-shirts or even shorts and flip-flops to see them actually kind of suit up uh, and uh, go to a party. So, so that's the first interesting bit. And you the see second- also, you see some people, because they're, they're not used to this, they might be unprepared. So for example, um, the, the last time they wore dress shoes was at the last holiday party. And uh, they lost the dress shoes. So you'll see this oh, no. person wearing a tuxedo and flip-flops. Oh, no. Oh, no I didn't ever see this. This is a good one. <laughs> I've uh, seen it. And it's not to make fun of people. Like, I mean, I think you can own it, right? Like, some people wear the Jingle Bells suit, right? That has, like, just bells all over it. And, like, I think yep. that's cool. Like, that's okay. Because it's kind of a weird thing to ask these people who are, are not known for wearing sort of nice, when I say nice clothes, fancy clothes, uh, to put on fancy clothes and go to this event. 
So it's already a little awkward. Like everybody kind of gets it. Not judging those people. If if you you know myself, I probably don't pull off a. I, I would probably be made fun of in ninety percent of social light circles for what I wear, uh, yep, and it's fine. You know the the faux pas. So I, I'm not one to throw rocks. Uh, yep. So that's the first interesting bit. The second interesting bit is it's typically uh, you plus one. So you can bring a friend or a spouse or a significant other, your mom. Like I've seen, you know, a variety of rules. But it's really interesting because you know these people from work, but now you're meeting some other person sort of in their life. And most of the time that tends to be someone who's not in computer science. So yep. you get a room that's split kind of, in my opinion, typically almost right down the middle. About 50% sort of engineers and about 50% kind of non-engineers in a sort of awkward miasma of people in suits and cocktail dresses and ball gowns, uh, all in an event that probably has some amount of alcohol, probably has dancing and music and eating. And it's just this uh, very interesting time of year. Did, did they change the, the alcohol rules this year? Uh, I think there was, I, I forget what the exact rules are. I was thinking like two, you got two tickets, so you could have two drinks. Okay, yeah, so they did. So actually, uh, I was one of the companies that didn't do that. So I don't, I don't really drink. I mean, it's not a, I don't have a, any moral issue. It's just one of these things that as I've gotten older, it's like the, the, like the hangover is, is getting a lot, is getting a lot bigger, <laughs> like a lot. And so it's just, I just stopped drinking at one point, but, uh, um, but yeah, they had just totally open bar and, uh, that's actually starting to go the way of the Dodo. Um, you know, I noticed fewer and fewer companies are still doing that. Um, and probably for good measure. I mean, it, it, someone could get just, just completely hammered, but, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, th- that was, it's an interesting thing that, you know, okay, you bring, um, you know, somebody either a significant other or a friend or something like that. The odds that they're in tech is, you know, is I don't know what it is, but it's not necessarily high in the scheme of all things you can do, right? And so what happens is you meet other, you know, pairs of people and and you have maybe a connection with this person that goes like you spent two thousand hours with this person <laughs> in the past year. And so you have all these things you want to say in a social setting. Um, and then these other two people have to kind of hit it off right away. And it's just, yeah, in general, it's, it's pretty difficult. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a taxing time to like, make sure, you know, everyone's, everyone's happy and and things like that. I I generally enjoy it. I'm not the most introverted person. So, so I kind of have a good time. I also don't drink. Um, and so I, I do see from that, from my perspective there that like, seeing people get very sloppy is kind of off-putting. So I'm actually pleasantly surprised when there's a limit on it um, mm-hmm. just because it's a different, it, it, when you get mismatches there, I think it leads to awkward situations. Um, yeah, that's the thing. If, if, if someone is, is really hammered, they can kind of cause like irreparable damage. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, mean, I, uh, I have a, a crazy story where um, I actually wasn't there. So, so there was a... Um, I actually worked in tech when I was when I was 17 years old, um, and there was a there was a holiday party, and I actually um, I don't remember I, I either couldn't go or I wasn't invited because it was an open bar. But there was there was some reason why I wasn't there, and I heard later that this person got completely smashed and um, grabbed a microphone. Now, it's not like one of these things where there's a band and this person just steals the microphone from the band. It wasn't that dramatic, but there was just there happened to be a microphone. I think someone had just finished speaking and she got on the microphone and just started saying 
you know, a lot of really personal things about her coworkers and things like that. And, and those wounds, I mean, they don't really heal. I mean, it's not like your family where you could kind of just hash it out, but, but it was awkward. Uh, the entire, the entire duration that I worked there. I mean, for years it was awkward. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I actually enjoy these events as like getting to meet people and getting to meet their other people that are in their lives. And like Jason pointed out, it's sort of interesting. You spend so much time with these people, but never often in a social setting or in a very reduced amount of time in a social setting. And so bring those two worlds together is kind of interesting. And also, um, you know, I'm married. And so my wife is like one of the few times she ever gets to meet all the other people I work with. And so even to this day, so we actually didn't go to the one this year, um, but in general, uh, we've gone in years past and she still remembers the people she's met. Like, oh yeah, now I know if I say so-and-so, she'll be like, oh, he was the one wearing, or she was the one wearing this stuff. And I'm like, yes, that's right. (laughs) And so like, that's how like, you know, they hear the stories, but that's how they fix the people and what they look like in their uh, in their head was is meeting them in these scenarios. So it's actually a enjoyable time. But as Jason pointed out, you uh, inevitably end up with some amount of stories from every holiday party. Yeah, that makes sense. If I could give people one bit of advice, it would probably be not to get hammered at your holiday party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just life pro tip from Jason. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, happy holidays, everyone. Um, let me just turn down my gain a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it just it just doesn't seem you know like a like a good idea. If you're tempted, then just in in your mind, just say, okay, when I go home, I'm going to buy an entire bottle of something and have a huge party with my personal friends who I trust <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's yeah. Holiday parties are, are pretty wild, but in general, I think um, it's a ton of fun to to talk to your coworkers. It's really strange because you, you eat lunch with your coworkers. Um, and so it seems like you would build, but there's just something about being in a completely social setting and, and also kind of being around your, your close friends and your coworkers at the same time. It is really cool. And uh, I have a great time. We look forward to it uh, every year. Cool. All right, Jason, why don't you uh, go over this year's giveaway plans? Let's do it. Speaking of looking forward to it. So, you know, I, I posted on, on Facebook and Twitter and all these other things that, that Patrick doesn't have accounts for yet. And I talked about um, how you know, now is the last chance to make a Patreon account, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, I did the cutoff. So uh, the patrons who were Patreon members um, this morning uh, were in the raffle. Um, and then what I did is I spent about 15 minutes monkeying around in Excel trying to figure out how to generate random numbers that wouldn't change every time I did anything. Uh, I finally got that to work. Uh, my Excel skills are absolutely terrible. I don't understand how I can't figure out Excel, but it's just, that's just, that's my, that's my Achilles heel. And so we have the names of people. Now we're going to do a little bit different. You know, last year, um, we set a mission of, of sending, uh, you know, a little gift to everybody. Um, we ran into a lot of issues with international shipping. It turns out that's really, really hard. I, I had no idea. I kind of thought that similar to, you know, calling internationally, that it would be easy. Maybe we'd have to pay a little more money to ship to different places it turns out logistically it's a total nightmare <laughs> and so what we're going to do this time is you know we've been we've been spending the whole year talking about different books of the show and so we thought we would do is take 15 people we'll break them up into five uh, uh groups of five so three groups of five and we'll either give you the option of an ebook a book from any of our books of the show uh, it actually doesn't even have to be this year. So it could be any book of the show. 
um, in either ebook or physical copy, or you can get a t-shirt. Um, and so what we'll do is after this episode's done, um, I'll send emails out. Um, the nice thing about this too is if people haven't put their address on Patreon, what I'll do is I'll email you, and at that point you could you could either tell me, uh, yeah, I want a physical book, and here's my email address, or you could give you could suggest the ebook or T-shirt, and uh, and you don't need an address to win, which is different this year. So um, yeah, so maybe we'll just uh, go through. Our first five. Drum roll, please. No, I can't do it. I have no rhythm. I wonder if we could just tap. We could just tap the microphone. Let me give it a shot. No, no, no. We're going to go. Did that work? Can you hear I'm that? wincing. <laughs> it's like Patrick's eardrums are blown out. Um, so I'm not going to read last names just in case, but... Um, the first initial of the last name, maybe? Yeah, actually... One sec. Let me see if I can get this all on one screen here. Oh, the dramatic pause, Jason. If I can get this all on one screen. People are all like on uh, on a pin, pins and needles. Yes. Pins and needles. There we go. Perfect. So on the edge of their seat. So what I'll do We're is I'll, I'll, put your, I'll say your first name and your state. How about that? That all probably right. narrows it down. So, um, or country, if you... If you uh, actually, well, yeah. So, so Jansen from Virginia is actually number one. Woo! So he had the highest random number... Jansen, your random number was 0.994. That is very well close to one. Good job, sir. Uh, second one is is James. Uh, we don't know where James is from. James B. Um, then we have, so if you're a James B, email, I guess you have to email well, us. I'll, I'll email, I have everyone's email. Oh, okay. So, okay so I'll okay, be able cool. to email. I just don't know where he's from. Okay. Uh, third is Harry from... Oh, this is in, uh, Norway. Wow. Okay, so Harry from Norway, um, Alexander, um, Alexander R. We don't know where Alexander's from, and uh, Ian from Canada. Cool. Congratulations! So, That's our so first you five. five uh, will be getting an email from me later on tonight. Oh, spoiler! Oh. Before the episode comes out. That's right. <gasps> All right, cool. Well, maybe if they're in the Discord, then uh, they'll know. Yeah, I'm just uh, just making a note here. So okay. That. All right, cool. Well, I'll, I'll we uh, flip around the order of the news of the show so you can uh, do your bookkeeping. Uh, so the first uh, news article we have for this evening is Amazon's HQ2. Now, this was in the news a lot, or at least I saw a lot of discussion about it because Amazon had a search for their new headquarters outside of Seattle, uh, and it turned into much uh, discussion and debate about how that would work and the nature of tax incentives and all of that. And, and that's interesting, I guess, but I don't really want to talk about it because, yeah, politics. Uh, yeah. And who has time for that? And, uh, well, I guess all of you should. <laughs> yeah, politics are important, but not necessarily on this show. And yeah. so uh, what I wanted to talk about, though, is I noticed that, and I think uh, several other companies since then have talked about kind of looking and expanding. I think Google, Apple, others are, are kind of growing their campuses out of the Silicon Valley area. And Amazon is already not in Silicon Valley, but in Seattle. And I, I'm wondering if this is a, a trend towards diversification or if it's just people making much ado about what was already there. Um, but for some reason or another, it's caught the attention of media, at least, that uh, companies are looking to expand into new locations and grow new locations outside of, I guess, what you would call their traditional headquarters and have a more split presence. I believe most of these big companies already have presence in multiple uh, locations. 
Um, but for whatever reason, they're deciding to kind of emphasize that they are going to be more than just an identity of a single location. And uh, I, I, for one, hope this is a beginning of a trend. I don't know that it is. I actually don't know enough to make a statement about that. But um, I hope that it is a start of a trend because I think it really would be good for people to have more choice than having to live in the you know, West Coast or East Coast, uh, Seattle or Washington, D.C. or the Silicon Valley or L.A. Yeah, like I think York. there's lots of really great places in the country. And there's a lot of reasons, family being a big one, why many people may not want to relocate. And having more choices, I think, would be great for the industry. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think um, the the unanswered question, and, and I think nobody has this answer, which is why, um, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, I would say no one has this answer, which is why it's so on the fence, is is, is how sort of Pareto distributed is is the the software engineering field, right? So you, know, you oh, hear about the 10X engineer and things like that, right? And so for whatever reason, or well, for historical reasons, there's a lot of incredibly talented people in, in New York, Seattle, and, and the Bay Area, software engineers, right? And if you really need... Uh, you know, an army of, of you know, I don't know, top coder world champions or something like that, then uh, that's hard to get anywhere else, right? I mean, if you need three, I, I actually went to visit a company and they weren't even, I'm not going to say who it is, but they weren't a big company. Um, I mean, maybe on the order of hundreds of engineers, maybe even just 800 engineers. And they had two top coder like finalists. So like top 10 top quarter, you know, world champions. And, um, you know, the company wasn't even that, that big. I mean, we're not talking like, like, like a Google or an Apple or a Facebook or anything like that. And so that's just hard to do, um, in a, a, anywhere else in the world. Right. But, but I think maybe people are starting to realize that like, A, that's not as important as people thought, especially as now things are becoming a little bit more of a commodity. And it's really about, data science and understanding, um, uh, you know, understanding large volumes of data and things like that, where we're spreading it out, you know, is, is there, there might not be that same distribution, right? And, and the other part is that those, that, that generation is getting older and they're probably for family reasons and things like that moving regardless. doesn't matter um, even if there's the best job there, they're just going to move back home or move mm. to the Midwest or move wherever. And so that that talent is going to diffuse no matter what opportunities there are, right? To some degree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a, I I mean, I guess even across the rest of the world, as you point out, there are other places in in Europe and Asia that that have good talent too. And I I really hope that companies become open-minded is the right word. As you said, and there are companies in lots of places, like even small shops, you know, sprinkle all over the place. But I feel like, you know, the focus has largely been the the very high paying prestigious jobs, I guess is one way of saying it, uh, mm-hmm. that aren't just onesies or twosies uh, in a couple small cities are, are tend to isolate into relatively few places around the globe, uh, which makes them kind of almost by, by definition uh, expensive to live in because lots of people go there. Uh, and I hope it spreads around a little more. It, it would be nice to have extra choices and more opportunity to, recruit from places where people don't necessarily aren't interested in moving. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I mean, the field itself just keeps getting bigger and bigger. 
Yeah. And so it just seems silly not to include more and more of the country, and as you said, of the world, right? And, th- and that's not even to talk about remote work, which will is <laughs> all separate uh, thing. So oh, we'll, just yeah. keep going. we'll just keep going. We should do it. I think we've already done an episode on that, right? On telecommuting. If not, we should do one. 2019. <laughs> we already have it lined up. Um, okay, my article was on serverless programming, which is is uh, really interesting. It's not what it sounds. You know, when I first heard this, I kind of thought, you know, BitTorrent, peer-to-peer, like I thought literally serverless. Um, what, what it actually means is basically you don't have to maintain an operating system. That That's effectively what it means. So um, there's this thing called AWS Lambda. Um, there's an old thing from Google called, uh, oh, what was the Google one? Like Google Cloud compute or something uh, i can't remember the name google cloud platform gcp and that was similar and the idea is there's an api um you implement that api and then your program can doesn't need an operating system right so for example i mean think about what the operating system provides right it gives you a file system um, it lets you access things like the network card and things like that. So you can, you know, communicate with other computers. Um, and then there's physical things, which you're not really going to use if, if it's in, in, in a data center. Right. So as long as you can office, you know, as long as you can wrap that, so you, so you can wrap the file system. If you need to write some local files, you just create an API for that, or you create, you know, a, a fuse user space file system or something like that. Um, as long as you can guarantee that someone can connect to the internet, um, you don't really need to have to be maintaining your own operating system. And the nice thing about that is it's much easier to scale versus you don't have to spin up a hundred nodes, you know, run your Docker container on these nodes, things like that. You just have this program and you give it to Amazon or Google or Microsoft and you say, hey, I want this program to run on a hundred machines. And then if all of a sudden, you know, it's Labor Day and you're getting hit with a ton of traffic, you just bump that up to 200 or 300. Um, and of course, you can do that with Docker and, and, and this other technology. But but this makes it way, way easier. Um, and so it's starting to really take off. I think it's pretty cool. I have to admit, I, I'm not a, a web developer or even a web backend developer. So um, I can't say for sure. I haven't played around with this yet, but I want to. Um, so I can't say for sure if it's a good idea from a technical perspective, but just from a like product engineering or production engineering perspective, it seems like like really nice. Like it reduces a lot of the friction. I mean, I don't really need to maintain a file system when all my program is doing is writing logs and, and talking to a database, right? So I think it's pretty cool. And this article talks all about how that works. I want to talk about a recurring theme. People who are listening to the backlog of our episodes often write us in and talk about that uh, we made a new called predictions, I guess, but things we've said in the past. And I know one of the things we've talked about a lot is SpaceX, Bigelow Space, um, whether or not, I guess, Virgin Galactic, is it? Yeah, on um, these kinds of things. Oh, which I, I could have made that the article. Uh, Virgin Galactic 2, which is the, or Spaceship 2, uh, I forget the exact nomenclature. Um, but they recently reached by what some people define as the edge of space. They reached uh, space. And this is cool. uh, the Richard Branson-backed company or owned company. I guess he owns it anyways. Uh, and they've been for a while trying to get to space. Uh, and they are wanting to take tourists there. They're suborbital. So they won't actually be able to orbit like a SpaceX. 
Um, but they recently were able to get there. So people are kind of like thinking might be soon that sort of paying customers, albeit very outrageously expensive tickets, will actually start being able to kind of visit space. It seems like- Do you know how much that would cost? Oh, I forget. I think I looked it up at the I'll, time. I don't I'll have the numbers in I'll front of me. Okay, cool. But the article I actually picked, that was a bonus freebie, no charge for that one, uh, is uh, SpaceX recently had their 20th launch of the year. And I think this is a crazy story that there are several companies now offering uh, or close to offering um, commercial access to, to orbital flights, be able to put satellites up and soon, hopefully, to be able to put humans back uh, into space. I guess right now it's mostly the, the Russian uh uh, spa- the rockets that are able to um, put people into space and they recently had a problem and so they've had issues and so now it looks like uh, SpaceX and, and other companies might be getting close uh, and this uh, 20th launch of the year for SpaceX is it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see how frequently uh, rockets are launching and maybe I just never paid attention to it before maybe it's cool again maybe it's always been this common but I actually think uh, I should have tried to find a graph of it but I feel like it's becoming more commonplace and I'm excited that you know, as my children grow up, hopefully they'll be able to, you know, see a thriving space. Yeah, for the, going for to the space low, again. low price of $250,000, your Whoa, kids can okay, spend, well, you know, a minute we, in space. <laughs> who's going to be the first person to say something about, like, the Moore's Law of ticket prices to space or something? Oh, that's true, uh, yeah. Ju- just kidding, just down. kidding. I know it's not the same. Um Specifically, though, this 20th launch of SpaceX was an interesting one. If you if you hadn't seen it in the news, I encourage you to watch the video of it. So SpaceX, when possible, tries to reland their first stage so they can recover the engines and everything. Uh, and they either landed on a barge or back near the uh, where they launched from on land. And this one, they were headed back to land on the land. And I guess the uh, approach has it to be targeting sort of not on the land initially, but on on the sea, like just offshore in the ocean. And then once it sort of sees everything's A-OK, it sort of at the last minute kind of pivots over to land on the, the landing pad. And what happened was that it's sort of something in one of the hydraulic motors uh, a malfunction. And so it begins to spin out of control. Uh, and so they actually, you know, no longer are targeting the the landing pad or, or they don't move to target the landing pad and the live stream actually cuts away and the people pretend like nothing's happening. Uh, <laughs> but then when it comes back and you actually watch the video later, uh, it sort of spins out of control, but they manage to actually regain control, which is crazy because they don't have a lot of time to do it. They manage the algorithms manage to regain control of the rocket and they actually uh, effectively land it on the ocean, you know, like in a very shallow waters, they, they kind of land it at the last second. It's like barely hovering. But then, of course, when it goes to land, there's no solid thing there. And so it just sort of tips into the ocean. Um, but for what could have been a very catastrophic failure, it turns into a almost uneventful thing. And I think they wow. ended up recovering the rocket. And I, I think they decided it's, they're going to have to just scrap it for parts or whatever. They won't be able to reuse it after being in the salt water. Um, that makes sense. But it's just, it's kind of crazy that it had gone so long without any issues that it's almost become commonplace. This thing that people... You know, I kind of remember on this podcast and having talked to people, it's been like, oh, this is ridiculous that you would fly up and fly part of the rocket back. Just the amounts of energy involved and fuel you'd have to use. And there's no way that doesn't make sense. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, of course they do that. Yeah, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. So it's, I guess that's the nature of progress. Yeah, I guess maybe AI was able to just control that rocket with such efficiency that it makes it worth saving or something. Um. My uh, show topic or my second news is 
Flutter, Flutter 1.0. And so Flutter is is pretty interesting. I've heard mixed reviews about it, but but basically what Flutter is, um, I don't know if we've talked about about React JS or sorry yes, React yeah. Native. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I know. oh, that's right. We talked about all of that with um, um, we were talking about um, Closure and and there was Closure Script and all of that. So uh, just to recap, React Native is where you write in a mix of HTML and JavaScript, but it's it's actually not HTML. It's um, it's it's XML. Let's put it that way, and JavaScript. And then what happens, React Native ends up, basically uh, that code ends up driving a bunch of native components. So for example, if you have an XML tag uh, button, then that's going to draw a button on the screen. And that tag takes attributes like you know uh, text and things like that. And that tag can have children tags for all the different uh, choices or and things, all, things like that. So um, th- what happens under the hood is that button, you know, XML tag turns into, you know, an iOS button if it's built for iOS or an Android button, like a native button, right? Now, that's really cool. And, and it feels like a native app. You don't realize that the person hasn't written it in, in Objective-C or Swift or Java or Kotlin or one of these native libraries. Um, so you don't know that the person's written it once for two phones or even more than two types of phones, but they have, right? Flutter takes a different approach. So Flutter um, is a little bit more like the like the web, where you know you you hope that all the browsers more or less behave the same, and so everything kind of looks the same. So if if you go to um, you know Google.com on your phone and you go on your laptop, you know more or less you know looks the same. And so Flutter, <clears throat> you know a, a, a button in Flutter is going to look exactly the same. On, on Android and iOS. Like it's not going to match the theme of, of that hardware, right? And so the nice thing there is, you know, when you're designing the layout, so for example, maybe on Android, you can fit three buttons across because just the, the number of pixels and the border and the, the padding and all that on the buttons is, is, is less. And on iOS, you can only fit two buttons across. But if you don't know that and you're writing React Native, then, then you when you deploy an iOS, it just doesn't look good. Like maybe it wraps around in some weird way. Maybe one of the buttons falls off the edge of the screen, right? And so you have to deal with all of those inconsistencies. Whereas for Flutter, it's it's almost pixel perfect, right? Or pixel identical between the two, right? Now the the downside of Flutter is that is that neither one of is it's never going to look native, right? So there's a sort of uncanny valley where you know it's like okay the buttons don't feel like regular native buttons when you scroll it doesn't really scroll with the same gravity um it doesn't have the same momentum and and things just don't quite feel right and so that that's that's a trade off you know i mean you can't have ios and android look different so like you can't have something that looks the same on both and looks native right it's impossible right so um, so Flutter makes a trade-off in one direction. React Native does it in the other direction. Um, the jury's kind of still out, um, but I thought it was really interesting. And I think, you know, as a developer, one nice thing about Flutter is you, know, you can run it on, let's say, the iPhone simulator and then run it on an Android device. You don't necessarily need an iOS device um, because because the, the look and feel and all of that is much more, uh, you know, predefined, right? 
Um, so yeah, check it out. I think it's pretty cool. It's getting a lot of traction. Um, it's it's written in Dart, so you you have to use the Dart programming language. Um, but I think Dart is correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Dart is is a like a superset of JavaScript. Um, I don't know if that's true. Oh, anymore. I thought it, I know Definitely. it's like what did you call that? Uh, transpilable to JavaScript. Yeah, it used to be a superset, but I think that's not true anymore. I think I think. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think that you know not all JavaScript will just run as Dart code, um, but either way, I think it's cool. It's definitely worth trying out, especially if you're an app developer, um, and see how it compares to other frameworks. and And let us know if you build an app in Flutter. Shoot us an email, post on uh, Discord, uh, some cool pics, and we can check it out. All right, man. I think it's that time. Time for another giveaway. All right. Five giveaways. So, so now the next five. Uh, just to recap, we're going to send you all emails. Um, you can uh, choose a t-shirt. We'll send you a t-shirt from the store. We'll send you a book, one of the books of the show of your choosing. Um, for those two, you'll have to give us your address if, if it's not already in Patreon. Uh, or you can opt for an ebook. So any of our books of the show that are available on Kindle, uh, we'll figure out a way to get that too. So we have Christopher from West Virginia. We got Steve... Uh, Steve P. We have Alisar from um, interesting. Alisar from Merseyside. I don't actually know what that is. Is that a country? I don't know, but we'll find out. <laughs> uh, Andre, who is um, from, looks like Germany. And uh, Jonas, who's from uh, Denmark. So congratulations. I'll send emails to you guys um, later on today. Looks like Merseyside is a county in uh, in England. Oh, there you go. Or so says uh, my Google search and Wikipedia. It's interesting. This 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 column is really noisy. I don't know why that is. But, but you know, this one column in this Patreon report, you know, it has states for some people. It has countries for other people. It must be just like, when you when people fill out the form, there must be this field that's just principality or something, or maybe it's pulling it out of a string. I don't know, but congratulations, you folks, and uh, I'll send send that information out to you pretty soon. All right, cool. Well, we're gonna do uh, one more little activity here, and then we'll draw the final five names. So I found an article, and I had it as the article of the show, and then I decided to actually uh, read through these and see. Well, Jason hasn't read these yet. And so we're going to see how he responds to this. And this is an article describing a person who uh, learned programming at an early age, um, but wrote, hey, there's here's some thoughts I had about the difference between programming and working as a professional software engineer. Nobody really told me these. Some of them are uh, very uh, on point. I think some of them might be a little more interesting. Um, we won't necessarily read all of them, uh, but that, uh, you know, I'm going to read a couple here and, and see what... Uh, what Jason thinks. All right, so here the number one, Jason, is uh, it's normal to have more lines of tests than production code. Hmm. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, he's definitely close. Really? Yeah, I, I feel like it's true to more lines of tests than production code if you're if you're writing good tests, if you're actually writing unit tests for your code. Wait, so you feel, you feel like the answer is yes? Like you agree with that? For code that you are writing unit tests for, yes, I feel the answer is yes. So there's, you're saying there's more unit test code than actual code. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I believe it. 
Yeah, I'm having a hard time like visualizing that because you know a lot of the unit test code is a little bit more boilerplate. Um, but yeah, I think that's true. I agree with that. All right, cool. Uh, having no choice but to use VI early in this person's career, uh, they meant that now they're stuck using those key bindings everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, I disagree with that. I mean, I definitely got started with Emacs, but... Um, oh, here it goes. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I've never switched to VI, but, but you know, I did switch from Emacs to... Um, you know, like like visual IDEs, uh, like Atom and Visual Studio Code and these things. And and to be honest, I haven't turned on the Emacs bindings. Now there are times where I do like, yeah, like Control X, right button and nothing happens. Or, or I'll literally draw an X on the screen. Um, then I'm kind of like, oh, I need to set up the Emacs key bindings, but then I never actually do. So yeah, I mean, personally, I don't seem to have locked so, in any of these key bindings. What about you? Yeah, so I was going to say, I think I read this more as like, you'll lock into a way of doing things and be stuck that way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I agree with that either. Yeah, it just hasn't really happened for me. I definitely could see it happening in general, but personally, it hasn't happened. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm picking and choosing here, but um, that, oh, here, you could have a 100% base salary difference doing the same job, depending on whether you work at a small startup or at a big company hundred percent base. So I think that means so. you could be paid half as much at a startup as what you could earn if you went and worked at a big company in base uh, salary. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just that's just a truism, right? I mean, it's a fact. Yeah, I think it's, I I think mean, it's true. The startup is one of these risky, it's a risk versus, yeah, like you're not going to, the whole point of the startup is you own some big chunk of the startup. Um, but yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's something not a lot of people would know. I, I, yeah, I think it is true. I think that it can be all over the place, but I think in general, yeah, startups pay much less than big companies. That's a really good point. You know, I just took it for granted, but you know, if I was straight out of college, I probably wouldn't have realized that. But yeah, I mean, you know, in my opinion, and tell me what you think about this. I think it's crazy to join a startup straight out of college. I mean, the startups that uh, get really big, like the Googles and Facebook, sure, they're founded by people who are either in college or dropping out of college or what have you. But first of all, those people are the founders, right? And secondly, that's that's the vast, vast minority of startups, right? The vast majority of startups are actually, um, you know, they, they do reasonably well. They end up just mid-sized businesses or they get acquired by a bigger company. Um, but I don't feel like they have that enormous upside that a Google or Facebook as a startup has. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you don't realize that there's a huge risk, then probably you should be at a bigger company, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, so I've personally wondered about this. So I'll say that you should do the thing that's right for you. So if, if out of college you're really interested in a startup and a startup is a good fit for what you're, I don't think there's anything to lose per se. Like going to a startup isn't going to mean you never go work at a big company. Yeah, But I think true. you have to realize that uh, and this is actually going to be another one of the points uh, in here uh, is that how much time you actually spend coding versus a whole variety of tasks. This is not exactly this person's point, but um, I think the amount of time you spend coding relative to a whole suite of other tasks is uh, varied across your position, across your role, across your current team and between startups and big companies. So at a big company, you know, you might find yourself often fighting with build systems that are mandated by your company. Uh, whereas a startup, it might be like, oh, I just ditched that and go use a different build system because why not? Yep. Um, and so I think that 
you might learn the actual coding. I don't know, I've never worked at a startup, might be quite similar. The actual like Java or C++ or Python you write might be pretty similar, but the context around it, the amount of testing, the amount of speed, the flexibility, I think those things can be very different. And so I'm not sure how directly transferable it always is. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think at a startup, you're trying to find the right product market fit. So just to recap, I mean, not to spend a whole show on startups, but the whole point of a startup is to find a monopoly. Like start with a very, very tiny monopoly. Maybe your monopoly is is in your city, you know, you are the, the people that do fax, converting faxes to emails. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because of marketing, maybe it's because you're famous in your hometown, I don't know, whatever. But for whatever reason, you just own a ton of that market, 70% of that market. You have a monopoly. And then the question is, can you grow that market? And can you end up with, you know, a monopoly of, of uh, you know, all taxi drive, all taxi cabs or something? I guess Uber, when I say monopoly, like I'm kind of waving, I'm waving my hands a little bit. I mean, obviously Uber doesn't have a monopoly. You can just download Lyft. But like effectively, can can you reduce the the space of people who are in this in this in this in this market to like a handful of people? And is it a huge market, right? And so while you're doing that, you know you might be radically changing the software, and so tests and things like that might not be as important. And so you'll probably be if you're in a startup, you'll probably be writing pretty cavalier code. That that that's what I would expect. I've never as a generalization. For one. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that would generally be, I mean, it depends now if the startup is medical equipment, you know, to prevent right you know, like, like a pacemaker or something, that's totally different. But I feel like in general, a lot of these tech startups, I feel like you're going to be writing pretty cavalier code, especially if it's product code and not like a database or something. Uh, so, so getting off of the startups, another interesting point that I thought they had here that was good was that... Uh, Different roles can be valued. Uh, oh, here they say. Here it goes. Uh, have different cachet that uh, in your local culture, in the local culture of your company. So, say, uh, saying you're a test engineer or an automation or front end or web or database or an optimization, a low level a compiler guy, like whatever the kind of thing you say you do, can vastly impact how people feel about you. I'm I'm, I'm expounding a little on their point, but sure. how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of wish it was a little bit more formal. And I think we're getting there. We're not quite there yet. Um, but but it's kind of weird. You know, I mean, I, I'll get an email from someone and they'll say, hey, we're looking for a software engineer for this company. And then you look at the job description and it's, you know, oh, needs to be able to, to write, you know, Motorola assembly or needs to know a whole lot about optimizing a database. These things which which I've literally know nothing about. Um, and so, you know, I'm hoping actually that these things that they're calling kind of, it, it sounds like they're, they're making it seem more like a social, um, label, right. But, but we should just go so far as to make it like stratify the software engineering job a little bit. Right. Hmm. I, I think it cuts both ways. I think that you can say, oh, all that person does and is, is blah, right. All that person does is write front end code. Like they, they're not a real engineer. Uh, and I guess to what you're oh, saying about yeah, stratifying. Yeah, and I think I that can become dangerous because I think the skill set you need there might be, and I'm not saying this is true. I'm just going to invent something as a generalization. But to sure. say like, oh, right in front end, oh, that's not as technical in that you 
You don't even need to know differential equations to do that. And it's like, well, that might be true. But it also means working with artists and constantly vastly changing requirements and, you know, having an eye for design because you don't always have the designer at your disposal, right? It might mean a skill set that's actually quite difficult and hard to do. Um, but, you know, working on, you know, compiler optimization theory uh, and the symbolic logic of that or whatever, I, you know, maybe that is a much more academic thing, but it turns out like, yeah, that's very rigorous and difficult and those puzzles are very, very hard to find and making progress comes in, you know, spurts rather than, you know, uh, UI mocks. But that doesn't, stratification is weird because stratification implies like a, almost a strict ordering. And I don't know that, I don't know that's the right word, but like, I don't know that it's strictly this one's better than other. It might be different people yeah, are suited actually, to different. Yeah, yeah, stratification is totally the wrong word. I, I think it's more like uh What's the word I'm looking for? Where it's just it's just clustering, or it's just split out, so that so that front end engineer, like if someone wants a front end engineer, they don't put more more defined roles, like more right nuance, more granularity in the roles. Yeah, exactly. Now, one unfortunate thing um, is that is that anytime you put two different labels on two different things, there's going to end up being a hierarchy. Right. Yes. Like if nothing else, the supply and demand dynamics of those two jobs will be different yes. and that will cause the pay to be different and that will cause a hierarchy. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, but that, that happens already. Right. So so by by sort of hiding under the software engineer uh, label, it actually just makes it harder for people to advocate for better salaries and things like that, because it just adds more variance. Right. Uh, but yeah, to your point, I, I don't think I think it would be wrong to assume that any of those jobs is better than any other one. I mean, they're they're all they're all sort of require a different set of skills. But you are right. I don't and without getting in, I don't want to drag it onto a giant conversation. But you are right that they're different. One not be better or worse or harder or easier, but supply and demand will dictate that prices might be different, like the pay. Yep. Yep. So yeah, uh, I mean, so I can see it both ways as well. I, I personally still lean towards like why not. I mean, especially if we, if software engineer becomes, I mean, let's imagine in the future, 10% of all employees globally are software engineers. I mean, that's, that's obviously what much farther from the universe we're living in now. Right. But let's say that happened. Right. I mean, there's, you can't just have software engineer as a job title then it would be absurd. Right. And so, you know, yeah. I think that, that as the, that job becomes more and more prevalent, eventually that uh. will have to happen. So, I mean, I think that, I, I guess, on the fly, trying to come up with an analogy, if you talk about a medical doctor, so people still say you're a doctor, uh, but there's pediatricians and there's surgeons and there's cardiologists and there's general practitioner. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert. Yeah, right. You, know, you have you all these different a, things. If you looked at a job description, it probably wouldn't say doctor, right? Right. But you would still, other people might call it that. Okay, Even if yeah, they know there's true. more nuance, you'd still say, oh, you're a doctor. Like you're still that thing. You're still a doctor. You still go to medical school, but then you develop a specialization and you're right. A job offer would be very clear about, hey, this is a position for, you know, working in the hospital as a chiropractic surgeon. I don't, I'm, I'm terrible. Anyways. I don't know uh, what that is either. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, it's going to say very specifically what that job is. And it's going to have a good label because it's a sort of stable thing and everyone knows what it means. Um, but it's probably true that like a pediatrician doesn't make as much money as a brain surgeon. 
uh, despite the fact that people both call them doctors and they probably both refer to themselves as doctors. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. Next one, or another one, is that the best technology doesn't always win. In fact, it often doesn't. Interesting. The best, what's that one more time? The best technology? The best technology doesn't necessarily win. In fact, it often doesn't. Huh. I, I never I never thought about that. Well, I mean, what's your take on that? I need to mull on that a little bit. Oh, I mean, I feel like that's, yeah, that's definitely true, right? Like the best website, or take it like a programming language. People always like Lisp. Lisp is amazing. Well, Lisp is pretty cool. Uh, and some people would say it's the best, but even if, whether or not it's the best is arguable. Um, but even if you believe it is best, or even if it was the best, a whole host of things, uh, conditions, context, corporate backing get into whether or not that technology wins out. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, the, the statement is is weak in the sense that, um, you know, the, 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 the best is just one thing. And, yes. and there's so much noise that it's 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 like you know it's like saying pick any quality that one quality isn't going to guarantee success no matter what it is or even how, however you compose best right um, but in general I mean I definitely think better languages succeed like I think languages that aren't as good uh, is that is that even true no I I don't I mean I think it's a true statement as you point out it might be weak in that it's a little hard to prove best, right? Um, so like, would you say, I mean, let's take the top languages. So let's say C++, JavaScript, um, uh, Java, Ruby. Are those, you know, better or worse than an average language? Than an average? They're probably better. Yeah. But then I mean, the I best, so. there are probably other ones that are best, but didn't get backing or were ahead of their time or, uh, you know, insert a whole host of other reasons that- Or um, are they in the top- let's say 15%. Oh, I don't know, man. Because I feel like a lot of people create a lot of languages and don't ever sort of fully execute on the idea. Yeah, that's uh, true. So I, I, that's difficult. Yeah, but I mean, look point. out there in, in let's take websites, right? Like, um, uh, isn't true that the site with the best, most, uh, let's say the quickest and most accurate sports scores they, they, you know, the latency between uh, event happening in the sports world and their update of the score doesn't necessarily mean that that website will become how everybody checks sports scores. Most people are still going to go to ESPN or uh, whatever equivalent for your sport broadcasting right. might be in Europe because that has marketing. It has already organic traffic. And as long as if those sports scores are good enough, you might cultivate a crowd around your specific, as you said, your definition of best. Like I have the lowest latency and highest accuracy, but that doesn't guarantee you're going to get traffic. Yep. I think it makes sense. Yeah. So I think, you know, in general, really popular languages are good. Um, are they the best? Yeah, there's no way. Because as you said, there's too many other factors. Um, let's see if there's any other. Oh, here's a, a kind of two. The appropriate use of emojis would become a very important communication skill. The appropriate use of emojis would become a very no. I don't really. I, I mean, it's just me. Maybe, maybe uh, it's like a generational thing. But I don't use emojis to be honest. I mean, really, I use the smiley face sometimes, but almost everything. Like, when's the last time I did anything other than a smiley face? And I've been talking to you for like a decade. <laughs> Fair enough. I, That's just me well, though. I use the table flipping emoji thing where the guy and he like flips it. Down. I like that one. Oh, yeah. That, that one's hard to draw unless you have it saved somewhere. I just copy and paste it. 
<laughs> the table flipping one and the guy shrugging, the ASCII art shrugging guy. Those oh, are yeah. like my those are my go to emojis. I have to admit, I really like both of those, um, but but you have no reason personally. What? Yeah, I mean, when yeah. I see someone do the table flipping, it legit it legitimately makes me laugh. So I mean, I I get a lot of value out of it, but I just I haven't you know taken the time to macro it, and I never I'm always too lazy to search it like in the middle of a conversation. So yeah, I have no right, chance to right. use it. Maybe if someone used it on me and I it was quick enough where I could get to it and use it back on them, I would do it. But all right, hang on, hang on, give me two seconds. I'm gonna I'm gonna text it to you. I need a, a table flipping, like literally a table flipping emoji, you know, like in the keyboard. So so if, uh, if you know, if, if in the tray of the keyboard I could choose table flipping, I'd probably do it. Like you replace the letter I, like who needs the letter I? Just make it <laughs> There's no I in table flipping. Oh, Patrick just sent me the table flipping. This is a really good one. This is like a really fancy, like... Yeah, that does look This fancy. is not the normal one. Uh, okay. I think it's time, man. I think we need another five. Wow, that one is fancy. He has a symbol for his nose. What an interesting nose. <laughs> <laughs> so now i'm just sending chase i found a website that has uh, like a whole bunches of random table flipping emoji out of the amazing. unicode characters and so there's some really good ones in here okay Absolutely we can put a amazing. link in the show notes here i'll add a link to this this is good <laughs> this is you just bookmark this page jason and your life will be at least 100 times better at least I guaranteed think, or your money back yeah i think i think people will actually listen to me in group conversations at work now yes okay cool I, I don't have to just say I, I don't have to just say I told you so all the time. People have listened. To <laughs> oh man! Um, all right. So our last winners. Well, first of all, thanks everyone for signing up. Uh, we have people who have been patrons for a while. Actually, let me take a look at that. Uh, I don't have I don't have a way to look at that off the top of my head. We'll have to do it next year. Uh, yeah, next year we should have like categories, like five people based on like how long they've been there five people based on like distributing by geography like we should have that'd be cool yeah i won't you know, remember I, that i by thought next about year. that i thought well geography is a good idea i thought about doing it based on how long they've been there but but i have a feeling those people have already won like some oh, of them are really be. long time yeah i looked at the names and uh, some of them i recognized um yeah i, re- I remember sending gifts to them already so so I, yeah, at the last minute, I kind of didn't do that. But well, there's no one way to cut it fair, right? So this is yeah, as I fair, like I guess, as anything. Uniform, random, can't beat it. All right. Um, so so this person's last name is NPC. <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling that's not real. <laughs> They're a bot. They're a bot. <laughs> but we're gonna give it to you anyways, and. Um, uh, I'm not going to announce the, the people in the overflow um, because I don't want, you know, you didn't realize, oh, I was the first person who didn't get it. Oh, yeah. But, that would but be if but if but if NPC doesn't get it, uh, you will be someone else. We'll definitely make sure 15 people get prizes. That's what I'm, that's my. Plan. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but Glenn NPC, um, who doesn't have an address, Glenn, you are you're coming in at number 11. Uh, Stephen from the UK. Um Thomas K, we don't have an address for. Um, Paul from the UK as well. And uh, Chris, Chris L. So those are our winners. I'll be uh, sending all of you folks emails. 
And uh, insert applause clapping from the crowd. Yeah, actually, yeah, I can't. I'm not going to reveal anyone's email. It wouldn't be right. But but you have some hilarious emails. Um, congrats on you. If you're a, a patron of Programming Throwdown, you come up with some pretty good email addresses. So props to you on that. Cool. cool. All right. Well, uh, we didn't end up with any uh, anybody who was willing to participate in our uh, in recording. Yeah, there's there's, uh, so. there's someone who uh, there, there's a there's an audience here, but uh, but I think there's people who are a little bit shy. I actually I didn't want to just randomly open the mic up and, and people yeah. just be like oh ah. So so I I posted. Uh, um, does anybody want to to join the chat? And some people are gun shy. I think it makes sense. Um, um, I think you know. I mean, it's it's recorded forever. It's in an MP3. That's yeah. Tell me about it. I know on the internet for your entire life. So yeah, I don't blame you, but um, definitely you know keep up chatting on the Discord. We we answer all of the questions. I've mean, literally answered every question on the Discord <laughs> that people does. have asked. <laughs> and uh, um, congrats again to our winners, and uh, you have a great um, holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy uh, Hanukkah. Oh, I found there's this thing called Eid or Ed or something like that. It's like a it's a it's a it's a holiday tradition. I don't actually know much about it, but Happy Ed or Eid. Okay. Um, uh, Kwanzaa. Um, I think that covers everything. I'm gonna I go know. short and sweet and just say Merry Christmas and see you guys <laughs> next <Christmas>. year. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, next year we have an unbelievable show. We actually already recorded it. Um, I'm not gonna spoil it. But it is definitely, uh, in my opinion, that's the highest profile interview we've ever done up until yeah. now. Uh, it's an yeah. absolutely phenomenal show. We don't know when it's going to come out. It's going to be, the day is going to be, it's actually not, um, it's it's not coming from us. So, so we're not necessarily in control of the day, but it's ready to go. And uh, really looking forward to it. I think it's going to absolutely knock your socks off. Um, you have an amazing year and let's, let's do it again next year. See ya. The intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I and uh, share alike in kind.